Mind Talk Podcast, episode 12. You are with myself, Nathan, and my co-host, Edwin. Today, we have a special guest all the way from the United States, Dr. Dr. KJ. How are you, miss? I'm doing well, y'all. How about yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. Pretty excited to have you on, actually. What about yourself, Ed? No, we've been talking about it all week, really, so we we can't wait to, to get get started and obviously there's there's a lot that people want to know exactly exactly you know what yeah so let's just get started on your instagram so your name is minority psychologist explain the premise behind this please all right so my background's really like in sports and recreation but uh once i got my doctorate in sports psych uh i started talking to people about the field and everything and which are like, okay. And then I wanted it to be like the sports psych doc, but I felt like that didn't entail like exactly who I am and what I was doing. But then I also didn't want to be the black sports psych doc because then I felt like I was limiting myself when a lot of the work I do is with minorities and even with the majorities um, yeah. coming from an aquatics background, which is for the majority. I wanted to put minority as something that brings in the people in the BIPOC community and goes like, okay, there's someone that looks like me. Because truthfully, if you look like in the sports like field, you're not seeing a lot of blacks. You're not seeing a lot of black and brown representation in yeah. this life. It's like all the popular people don't look like us. So I was like, well, if I change my name on social media and just kind of give people like, okay, I'm a normal person too. You know, I operate my business, but like, I'm just as real as you, then that gives another little black or brown girl or boy hope that, okay, I can go into this field too. And that was really like my background behind it. Um, you know, I talked about it at school and um, we're just learning how to do like better representation because if you really just search on social media using any of the hashtags sports psychology, we get knocked out. So I was like, well, we're going to do minority psych. So when you type like minority and then like sports and my page would probably pull more traffic. So that was kind of the premise behind that. And I've had like some backlash and folks telling me like, oh, we'll change your name. You know, um, you know, that's taken away from this or, you know, you're being like very specific and it's like. I'm not, but at the same time, look at who I am. So, yeah, it's going to stay. <laughs> it's not a bad name at all. So talk to us about your early sporting background. What, what was your first encounter in sport? First encounter in sports, I was about four years old, um, and it was actually in swimming. It went from hanging out at a family's house and as my mom says, like a near drowning experience. And I knew I had to get you into swim lessons. So I started doing that at age four. By age six, I had mastered all the levels. So usually there's like five or six levels contingent on your city's programming. So I got to that last level and she was like, okay, we're going to keep you in this, this level for a year. So I did that. Um, and then the city was like, Hey, we'd love for you to swim on behalf of us. So me and my cousin, my godbrother, we all went to swim our first meet. Um, yeah, it was eventful. It was a learning experience. Um, from there, I also like dabbled in gymnastics, but my mom was like, I think swim is more going to be your passion. And I love being in the water. So did that. By the time I got to middle school, of course, my swim skills had developed, but I was like, let's try something else. Like all my friends play other sports. Nobody's really swimming. So my mom gave me ultimatum. You can try out for the team. If you make it, I'll pay for it. You can stay. And so I did that and made every single team. So I ended up making the volleyball team, the basketball team and the softball team, having never played volleyball, basketball or softball, but just having a like angst to learn and like having athletic ability. So I love that. And I was like, okay, cool. So I did that the rest of middle school. 
and then did that going into high school until I had um, a rib dislocation. So by high school, I had to kind of like minimize my my sports background and um, just kind of select the ones I was going to be doing. I knew I had to swim and I was in love with basketball. If I could help in volleyball or play like I would, but I was just trying to stay focused in those two sports. But of course, like I said, I had that, that basically sport ending injury, but it only limited me in basketball. Um, so what happened was my ribs would dislocate and it got to the point where they were going to fracture. And my chiropractor was like, you're done. Wow. I was wearing the rib brace and everything. Mm. And it was just like, I don't want to risk it. I'd rather you just stop playing con um, contact sports yeah. and save your body. So at like 13, I stopped playing basketball and coaches were upset. Like it was a bummer. Cause like I had like set my plan on, I'm going to be a basketball player and a swimmer. Mm -hmm. And one of these are going to take me to college. So that was that, um, by my sophomore year, I actually transferred my junior year to a different high school yeah. and, um, was going to continue swim there. So I was prepped and ready to be on the swim team, found an opportunity to try to kind of like gain my endurance and keep my training up. So water polo was introduced to me again. Um, I had a family member who played, but it was like, kind of like, mm, looks cool for you. Like, I don't see myself doing it, but I actually ended up getting into it and falling in love with the sport. And just yep. from a one day tryout coaches were like, Hey, yes. Yeah, so, um, can you come with us to tournament? And that started my like water polo background, my junior year of high school. I did that. Um, even after having that rib injury, I just kind of played through it because being in the water, I felt alive. I felt strong and it was a way for me to bring out my inner beast and also manage like I wouldn't say like I had necessarily had mental health issues, but I was like having stress and having anxiety, like usually related to school and being yeah. in the water with my outlet. Yeah. So I did that up until my freshman year of college when I got into my career ending injury, which was a car accident that took me out on the day of finals. Wow. Yeah, wow. it's a whole connection, but yeah, that's my story. Wow, wow, wow. Um, there's so much to unpack. Um, I'm going <laughs> to take it back um you mentioned your mom straight away um that struck a chord with me can you talk about the impact your mom had on you um throughout the early stages when you was playing sports of course um my mom is always like my number one motivator she's always like one of the best for me and my siblings and so we just kind of coming from an athletic family it's like okay you know try it give it your best and then it would come down to the point where it's like oh, i don't want to do it but she's like come on like you you have it in you and yeah. then she would kind of always tell me like, you know, everybody sees you as like the carrot um, and like, you know, rabbits chase carrots. So it's yeah. like, who's your rabbit? Like, who are you chasing? Like who's holding that carrot and dangling it for you to like be successful. Yeah. And I never really thought about it. Cause I was like, I don't like to be compared to other people. I kind of, I just like to do my own thing. And if people are naturally like impacted by that, then so be it. But just her support, she never missed a game, no matter yeah. what, I was involved in yeah. she was at practice continuously talking like with the coaches so she was very involved but also let me have my independence and I love that um no matter what the outcome of a race was like I could have like especially in swimming I may have added five seconds and she's like you know what but you're training hard that's okay we're gonna rest recover we'll be back at practice and we'll train and then when it came to like oh I'm feeling the stress in my academics I don't know she'd be like okay I'm gonna let you sit out for a little bit but you're still getting in the water so she continued to push this discipline in me that actually just maintained like throughout my lifestyle so now looking back at 26 I'm like okay I have pretty good discipline because it was something she instilled young in the young student athlete of me.
Okay. And in terms of when you moved over from that to the studying, the theory that you learned, did you use any of that theory on yourself? Actually, yes. Before I knew exactly what it was, I was utilizing it. Um, right after I had that career ending injury, it was my freshman year of college. I had talked with my assistant swim coach for the school. And then I had talked with one of my professors and they're like, this isn't the end of everything. There's, um, there's a door that's going to be open for you. You just got to be ready and looking for it. And I was like, okay, you know, this setback isn't the end of everything. There's still other opportunities. And so I took that with just like a big positive, like smile. And before I knew it, I blinked and opportunities were arising. So from going from the athletic perspective, I ended up going into the coaching role. I never really saw that for myself, but then everything I started learning in my sports site courses and in my site courses, I started to apply personally, like with my self-talk, um, I'm really big in positive psychology. So I just loved, I'm a big optimist. Like if you know me, I'm, you can tell me like a bad thing and I'm going to try to find the good in it because I just don't believe in sitting in the dumps. I'm going to bring myself out of it. Uh, with having the injury and looking back on it, I definitely did some deep reflection and was like, this didn't have to be the end. You know, you, you allowed it to be the end and you transitioned well, but it didn't have to be the end. I could have, you know, continued through the rehab and continue working with the doctors and strengthen my body and continuously strengthen my mind at the same time to be able to come back and be that collegiate athlete. So some days I kind of like get bummed because I'm like, wow, I, I really could have been a collegiate student athlete. But then I look at it on the other hand with the transition that I chose to make, I was able to focus on my academics and go further academically than I probably would have if I would have just went the athletic route. And so I definitely still continue to use a lot of the approaches um, in my own personal life. Or if I feel myself like getting jittery, um, which is usually like pre pre-performance or like pre-game anxiety, I'd find ways to kind of calm myself. And then as I'm learning, I'm like, wow, this makes so much sense as to when I was swimming or when I played basketball, like why my heart would race or like why I'd be so nervous. But the second the race would start, I'd be good. Or the game would start, I'd be in the zone. Um, so I definitely utilize a lot of those tactics then now and through reflection and then use that to help build better athletes or better performers. I think for me, first thing that I think of is, you know, um, a young, a young athlete that potentially, you know, breaks his or her leg, um, you know, and therefore, you know, they, they, they can't fulfill their dream of being, um, a superstar in their discipline. So I guess, um, my question to you is if there's a young person that's going, that's just gone through a career ending, um, experience, what's the best advice that you have for them? My advice would be, and I tell this to other athletes, is find ways to stay involved. Because just because you got injured doesn't mean it's the end of everything. Um, like I've, I've had an athlete broke her ankle and lost her starting position. Mm. And it's like, okay, you lost the starting position for the season. But what does that mean? You get to go to rehab. You have time to build your body back. Find You're still coming to practice. You're finding ways to be involved. You know, you're still a part of that supportive community. And that's what a lot of the injured athletes need. Yeah. Uh, many of them, they get injured. And then it's kind of like, well, I'm injured. And the coaches push them to the side. Teammates forget about them and they feel excluded. And then that really puts them down in the dumps because they're like, well, 
like basketball was my dream or water polo was my dream or swim yeah. was my dream versus having the coach saying, Hey, I know your ankle's injured and you're probably going to be out the rest of the season, but you can still come to practice. Yeah. And I've seen it be done. Like just cause your ankle's injured doesn't mean your hands are injured. Unless of course, like it's soccer, but even in soccer, your left foot's messed up. You can still do drills and stuff with your right foot. You can do stationary and sitting down and just finding those alternatives. And I feel like that's just often overlooked and they're like, well, I'm done. And then you're just sitting there. Don't sit there, be active, you know, tell your coach, like if there's any way I can still be a part of the team, you may not be able to travel, you know, due to the injury that you have, but okay. Maybe home games, you're sitting on the bench, you're helping take stats. You're just um, helping pass out the balls, you know, getting water, whatever it is, you know, find that way to be involved. And what that does is tell the athlete, like, okay, I still have that potential. Um, In the meantime, like when you're not being involved in that regard, work on your other strengths. So you forget often because it's collegiate or student, just student athletes, like at high school level too, that you're a student. So that time that you're not spending in practice because of your injury, take that time to allow your injured part to heal and rest, but also focus on catching up on homework that you may have missed or assignments that you would have um, been delayed on because of having to travel. Uh, So look for those other doors, ways to stay involved. And if it does come down to like, you know, being a season ending injury, start to look at how you can transition that. If you are still in love with the sport and passionate about it, it may be that you got injured, but now look for coaching roles, Mm. how to transfer that. Or maybe you start training other athletes in that field and, um, you know, you stay a part of it or you have a season ending injury and you have a degree, utilize your degree and figure out how to, you know, maneuver in that way. Yeah. Cause it's not the end of the world. Everything can be transitioned. It's just the mindset that you have, mm. which will allow you to transition best. And that's one of the, the great things about sports in the, the U S is that you have a system with the colleges where obviously you're still studying and you, you have that to fall back on. But for myself and Nathan, as we know in the UK, it's very, very different. Some people go through the system and let's say in soccer, some people go through the system and they're at a club they're let go and then they have nothing to fall back on what do you say to those types of clients those who have no fallback plan yeah Yeah. it's not an end um so usually when you get somebody like that and tell you like what what do you feel you could do next and you kind of explore those things with them um, because they may have self-limiting beliefs simply that well now now there now there's nothing i can do but there's something you can do you Mm. know do that you have like that intrinsic internal motivation to set up a business for yourself do you have a personality um to get out there and do it on your own so entrepreneurship is something i definitely push for athletes who feel their chapter is over um you still have connections just because your sports career is done doesn't mean you don't remember Joe that you played soccer with or Mary who was like the assistant um, athletic trainer or something. You still have these connections. So utilize those connections and find ways to still take things to the next level. Yeah. Uh, I also say like in y'all situation, you know, being in the UK where it's like, if it's over, it's over. Mm. Start to pre-plan. Um, a lot of colleges and a lot of coaches, and I say that because like a lot of my athletes have been in the college realm, but also even looking at like the high school realm. Yeah. By the time you're a junior, start developing that plan. 
is of course, you know, like usually you're looking at, okay, what am I going to do next? I'm going to college or I'm going to grad school, depending on your level, but also look at what happens or what can I do if sports aren't available at my next destination? What, what am I still able to do? So you start building that transition plan early. So you can look at all your resources and find ways to, you know, get to that next level. When you don't have that, then you get to the point you're like, I'm stuck. And then that's where sports psych folks come in. Our mental performance coaches, we come in and we try to help you get unstuck. We try to help you see that you still have capabilities, but we also focus in on what are your strengths? Because you may have been thinking sports for it for your whole life, but you're a great motivational speaker. Yeah. People like to listen to what you have to say. You're very creative. You know, maybe you had a super strength that nobody really knew about, or you're good at cooking. We look at the other things that you're good at, aside from just your identity as an athlete. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we explore further of different avenues you can take. And I feel like just a lot of folks who get lost in that identity of I'm an athlete. Mm. And then we see nothing else beyond that. But the truth is you were a person before you ever picked up a ball or before you ever got involved in that sport. Absolutely. I think for me, one of the things that you mentioned about, you know, positive thinking, positive affirmations, I think that's one of the things that's greatly missed in society. And it's actually one of the few things that, you know, science and religion agrees on, you know, the, the, the power of the tongue, the power of, you know, speaking. Um, for, for somebody who doesn't necessarily get it or understand the, the power of, you know, um, positive thinking and positive um, talk, can you, can you try and explain just the actual importance and the impact of um, positive thinking and positive talking can actually have on self, please. Absolutely. Um, I could take that like three different ways. Uh, I'll probably take it too. So what you speak, you, you cause to come into existence. Mm. I, there's a term for it. Like there's a theory that goes behind it and I cannot say it right now because it's not coming to my head, yeah. but basically what you say you bring into that existence. So if I say I'm going to be successful, I'm going to work hard by 60 days at the end of my 60 days, I'm going to have like a good return on what I'm doing. And I believe that. And I continue to manifest that. And I continue to speak that into existence. What's going to happen is that thing that I was speaking is going to come true. Mm. But when we sit there and we we harbor on negative and we talk these negative things and we bring negative manifestations, it's still going to come true mm. because we're, uh, we're allowing that effect to, to come into play. Yeah. And you'll notice that with like a lot of athletes, oh, I suck or I'm not good at this. And you're giving yourself self self-limiting talk. Mm. So that's what your, your brain's only going to think that you're capable of. Oh, I, I, I can't do this because you told me I can't. Yeah. So then you're going to enact that. But when you tell yourself, like, I can, okay, we lost the game today, going back to the drawing board, and I'm going to work harder in the gym. I'm going to go back through my steps and see where I miss things, and I'm going to be better. Each game, I'm going to get better. I'm going to learn and get better. So Mm. now it's going to happen. Every game, you're going to start getting better because you've changed your mindset. And so that mindset and self-talk, they kind of go hand in hand. Because if you have a fixed mindset, you're going to be stuck. When you have that growth mindset, you're going to be like, okay, this is a new opportunity. You're going to utilize more positive self-talk and you're going to see increased performance. Mm -hmm. You stay fixed. You're, you're using that, that negative self-talk and 
oh, well, you know, I'm stuck. It is what it is. That's what's going to happen to your performance. You're going to see that decrease in your performance. And then ultimately it's going to fail. The other thing I like to utilize, um, I call it like my coffee filter method. And it's basically how we like process feedback. And so if you've ever kind of put a coffee pot together, (laughs) you get your grinds, your coffee grinds. So that's all the feedback, right? Putting it in the filter, you put it in the system, you get the water and you pour it in, hit your start, right? So as the water's pouring through, it's all that feedback's coming through and it's filtering. What you want in, in your decanter or in the coffee pot is the good coffee. You don't want any ground coffee, nothing in that. So you don't want that junk. So this is that good feedback. It's process. So you're getting all the feedback, the coffee grounds in the filter, the you're processing it. So that's the water. And then what's left in the cup should be good, good enough for you to drink. So good enough for you to utilize going forward, the crap, the negative feedback, all the things that aren't true about yourself or your abilities, or just that outside noise that really has no strong effect on where you should go and what you should do gets trapped in that coffee filter. And what do we do with that? We trash it. So same thing with how we talk to ourselves and how we want to enhance our performance we trash that negative stuff. We keep mm-hmm. that good stuff and all the extra accoutrements we put in our, in our drinks to make mm-hmm. them taste better. Those are those added things. Okay. Just a little boost of confidence. You know, I just need a high five from my teammate, Joe. Okay. I just need a pat on the back and I just need my mantra and I'm ready to go. So those are those things we add to make our coffee perfect for us. Uh, so I like to talk about that because when people think they're like, Oh wow. Like that's a process and it's a visual thing. So next time you look at a coffee pot, you're like, okay, check my feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's what I like to pretty much give to the athletes and performers that I work with. Like when you're, when you're working on that, you don't want to sit your whole life thinking negative because it's already a challenge for our brains to step from negative into just positive thinking. Yeah. Have to be diligent. So even when you feel like you're having a bad day, you say, you know what, I'm going to make the best of today things are going to happen and I'm going to be able to move past them and push forward. And as you tell yourself that you start to believe that and watch, watch the outcome of it. And um, describe the process of how you assess a new client. How I assess a new client. Yes. So usually um, they'll reach out to me and then I'll send them like this little intake that I do on Google forms and they'll fill that out from that. I go back through and I spend time like reading their responses and looking at different levels of answers that they've given. And I start to develop a plan or see like, okay, these are areas that we need to work on. Um, I also sit down and have a consultation with them and say like, okay, talk to me about what's going on. Where do you feel that I can help you? And then kind of compare the two pieces of information and then develop a, like a plan for going from there. Um, so assessing, I, we, I use different assessments. Some I make, some are from other individuals and we just kind of gauge and process. And then I explain to the athlete or the performer, you know, what their, what their readings are saying. So that way they understand and don't think I just took an assessment, probably going to say, Oh, I'm high in anxiety, but do you know what it means? If you're high in anxiety, you know, do, do you know what it means? If an assessment says you're not coachable or you have low coachability, you know, does it, do you know what it, what it means when they say you're not like a real team player? And are you willing to hear that feedback and then transition how you perform and how you engage? And most of the time, especially when working with teams, you'll see that everybody's like, we just want to get better. We're tired of the drama. Uh, We want to be cohesive. Like we want to, we want to win. And from the teams that I've worked with and utilizing these assessments and then um, transitioning that information into 
team talks or individual talks, it makes a, a strong difference in their performance. Without, without giving too much away, can you give an example of the, the impact you've had within a team? Because Ed, Ed, Ed and I, we always talk about, you know, psychologists within a team perspective and we always feel that it's underutilized. Um, and we do feel that in probably in the next decade or so that more and more sports psychology will, uh, you know, transition into um, team sports. So um, from your perspective, your examples, um, just give uh, an example of the impact that you've had on the team. It's a good question. Um, I think one of my favorite impacts was with the water polo team. Um, they went undefeated all season long and they lost in the long run at like the big championship game. And when you see that defeat on everyone's face and just kind of processing things with them. So what happened was I started with them, their first games, and I just stuck with them through it all. And you'd, you'd see like different players kind of feeling different ways. A oh, coach has favorites or there's this happening. There's that happening. It's like, okay. So what I would do is talk with them as a team, as a collective. Mm. And then I would pay careful attention to just like nonverbals. Then I had something like, not something, but my inner gut would be like, talk to the athlete. And I talked to that athlete and find things out. So as I'm talking with them individually, that allowed them to know that I cared about them as people, not just as a team or, oh, just because I know your coach this or that. It was, I was able to focus on them and I would sit at practices. I would go to games, sit right there on the bench with them. So they had straight access to me. Yeah. I would get to the point where like, I'm taking notes. I would write assessments on them. Like as the games are playing, just like little notes to improve their performance. They'd get out of the water. They'd come talk to me. Hey, KJ, like, so what do you think? Or they might've just got grilled by coach and they're in their head and they're sitting there. I'd go sit and talk with them and be like, Hey, I think you were doing good. Like shake it off. This, this is, um, this is something I noted and kind of just talk with them. How are you feeling right now? Well, I'm just frustrated. Because I get it. We get it. But don't let that feedback take you out of this game because yeah. if you crack in that water with your head all fuzzy, these girls are going to do a number on you. Mm. And so talking with them and providing that for them. And, um, when I noticed the impact was when I was actually getting text messages, not that I was reaching out saying, Hey, anybody want to meet today to like yeah. talk? But them turning around and texting me like, hey, KJ, are you available to come talk to me right now? Um, you know, or, hey, we have practice tomorrow. Do you mind staying a little bit later and just kind of chatting with me? Um, I've got this these thoughts going on, you know, regarding performance or I feel this way. And I would do that. Mind you, all the work that I did with these athletes at the time was free. Um, so it was just on my own time. And that was a more beautiful thing than getting paid for the work, mm. just getting to be there and making that impact and influence to the point where even season ended and I can still reach out and talk to the girls and they feel they've talked to me about life and their new transitions. Um, but like I said, I think the impact I knew was when I got one specific call and we met up, met at the track and we just talked and we walked laps and walked laps and mm. walked laps her to vent and just kind of process and then ask my input input and just say like you know you had me doing this evaluation or you had me doing this thing and honestly it's really helped because prior to i'd be in my head or i'd be doing this and by the end of the walk it was about an hour later we just like lost track of time she was like thank you like i feel better and it's like you don't know the impact you have for somebody when you just you're just there yeah. And you allow them to kind of vent and process and you give them new perspectives. And I think that's truly just what I love. And I worked with another team. 
And it's the same. They follow me on social media. If I post like reels or do like any of my stuff, they're reposting it. They're telling their athletes, their athletes are following. And I love that because that reminds me that I made an impact with that team or with these coaches and they still reach out for clarity and things. So yeah. oh, wow. I've got, I've got a question. So it kind of relates to what me and Nathan talk about quite a lot. So sometimes we see professional athletes have an injury, a serious injury, they come back and they're not quite the same. But the reason why they're not quite the same, nothing to do with their ability, is to do with their mind. Those, for those type of people, what would you say to them? And, and how do you work with those type of individuals? I love that because truthfully, we do see it a lot. And it's just like, what the heck happened? Um, and that's basically how I got actually like more in love with the field of sports site. Um, this is like quick segue, but way back when there was a show on U- USA in the United States and it was called um, Necessary Roughness. And that's what she was doing, working with professional athletes um, who had like mental setbacks. And she was a psychotherapist. And I was like, this is so rad. This is what I want to do. But now when I see it happening, utilizing like my background in sports psych and performance psych, it goes to you're in your head. Usually when somebody gets injured, they it, it, it get stuck. Yeah. There's those who can get past it and those who get stuck. And those who get stuck, you see it in their performance. Mm. Why they get stuck is because they train themselves. Well, I got injured doing this the last time. If I do it again, it's going to happen again. Yeah. You know, Or I've been out for three to six months contingent on the injury. And sometimes it's less, but I haven't been practicing like everybody else. So they're having all of these just negative thoughts in their head. Instead of thinking, okay, when I get back, I'm, I want to be able to start doing this, you know, and start during the rehab process. If you're not working on your mind during the rehab process and that whole time you're spending out, you've, you've developed like a different thought process. Mm-hmm. So what I would suggest is athletes of any level, once you're injured, start thinking about what you can do now to continue to prolong your, your athletic career. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you wait till that doctor signs it over as you can't return. Yeah. So kind of like I said earlier, you know, find ways to stay involved, continue to utilize strengths, allow your body to heal, you know, write a plan of action for what you want to do when you get back, continue to talk to your coaches. Hey, what can I do to, you know, keep my dribbling up? And odds are like a lot of these injuries are mainly like in the NBA. So what else can I do? Well, you got a knee injury. Okay. You can still dribble, you know, you can, um, you can find other ways to like shoot without, you know, shooting and overexerting your knee talk with your athletic trainer about um, the situations that you have reservations about or the thoughts, uh, reserve, reserving thoughts you have regarding it and be like, Hey, I'm just afraid that after we finish rehab and when I get on my knee again and I go to do like a quick pivot, mm. my knee's going to pop and I'm going to be back in the situation again. So when you talk with your team and you allow them in your headspace of what's going on, then you're going to see them be able to help you and know exactly where to help you. Because closed mouths don't get fed, right? But in the same notion, mm. a person's not going to know how to help you if you don't speak up on what's bothering you. And so with these pro athletes, when they're going through the rehab process, talk about the fears you have. Talk to your sports psych, um, person or your sports counselor about the thoughts that you have, and they'll help you work with those negative um, self-limiting beliefs, and they'll help you develop a plan. Okay, what is true about your performance? What can you still do? Mm. Oh, you know what? You're right. I can still do this okay, let's work with visualization. Let's visualize you in the court, on the field, in the pool, wherever. And you start working with them and putting themselves in that situation. So then 
after the rehab is over and they, they've been utilizing the visualization, the positive self-talk, utilizing the plan of action, they get back to performance and there's no setbacks. Because they're, they're free of that fear. They're mm. free of that setback. I think one thing for me, I think one of my saddest memories in sport, in, yeah, I guess one of my saddest memories in sport was the 1998 World Cup World Cup final and Brazilian footballer Ronaldo just looked absolutely unfit and just should have not been on the pitch. And it wasn't to do with him necessarily being pushed by his team because, um, you know, from documentaries, you know, it was said that he wanted to play. But I guess my question is this. Do you think that teams or clubs, so to speak, um, almost treat their star players in an inhumane way once they're injured and trying to bring them back from injury a bit too soon and therefore can potentially have a longer-term effect on their health. Um, where do you stand on that? Absolutely. I do think a lot of coaches and teams put a lot of pressure on athletes, especially like in the pro level. It, like you said, if you're that star athlete, hey, we need you back, so you need to do whatever you can. Yeah. But putting pressure on if that person's not ready you can physically affect them emotionally affect them and mentally affect them mm. and if you're not careful then they're going to look for alternative methods to try to get back so they'll try to cheat cheat their way back in mm. and their performance is not going to be what it's supposed to be and then you have somebody who should have had maybe four more weeks of rest on an injury have them playing and now you're putting them in a dangerous situation granted at the professional level, that's on them if they decide to get back into the game and play. Yeah. But at the same time, like you're underlyingly responsible if something happens or they further their injury. Yeah. It's better. I get it. You're the star player. Your teammates want you back. It's better to sit and heal and show your teammates and all the other people, millions of watchers who continuously watch your games that it's okay to take that rest and recovery. Mm. You know? You only get one body and you're not guaranteed to play that pro sport your whole life. But if you start taking those baby steps and you rehab and you know, you're working on yourself emotionally, spiritually, physically, um, emotionally, all of that, then you're teaching the kiddos that not even just the kiddos, just everybody under you looking up to you, wanting to be you, mm. that I do the same thing. And that's an impact more athletes should want to have than saying, well, we just play no matter what. Mm. we've seen Kobe play his, his sick games. We've seen Jordan play his sick games or they play like with minor injuries, but then what are they doing in the, the other time that we don't see them in those games? They're rehabbing their help. They're getting their health back. They're resting. They're doing what they need to do. And then this is what makes them legends. Not, oh, I played through broken. That's <laughs> it's not a sick mindset, but it's a bad mindset to have. Oh, we just play through the injury. Sometimes you can't because, like you said, you can you can further that injury, you could do more damage, and would rather play a twenty-year career because you did what you needed to do to heal yourself and be successful, mm. or would you rather do six years and then have to be done because you rush you rush your process? Mm. My word would just be don't rush your process. You know, try to prolong yourself as long as you can. Mm. I've got a scenario for you. So. Let's say you have a athlete who is dominant at the event. They are winning everything. But when it comes to major competition, they don't produce the performance that they're supposed to produce. What would you say to those type of individuals to get their mind right, to be able to perform at their best in those events? It sounds like that person psyching themselves out 
So that could be performance anxiety. Like when you're playing at a level, when you know you're good and you can easily beat any of those other opponents, you have confidence about you. But when you're put into a situation where there's athletes who are just as great as you and not, or if not like greater, then there becomes this pressure, you know, and then your confidence shifts. I would tell you still remain confident. You know what you're good at. You're not supposed to worry about who you're racing against and what they do. You got to focus on you because you lose the race when you start looking to your left and your right. You stay focused on what your goals are. And even if you're not the top, whoa, okay, you're still great. You want to know how you know you're great? You made it to that level to be able to compete against these other people. You know, it's not about where you place in the time you get, give your all. And at the end, even if you don't win, if you felt you gave your all, guess what? You're still a winner. You have the people who cheat their way and get there and be like, okay, well, I won. Okay, but what take from it? Nothing. Yeah. So when you're in those phases, give yourself that positive self-talk. Remind yourself of your strengths. You know, limit, uh, squash all that negative talk, all those ne- negative, like self-limiting beliefs and just be fully in. And when it gets to that end, you look back, you reflect, you laugh and you learn because even in those defeats, no matter how great you are, they're learning lessons. And even like Kobe would say the same thing, like, okay, so we play, I played a great game, but that wasn't good enough. But why was it not good enough? Because He's now going to go back to the drawing board, look at the film, go segment by segment and relearn. Okay, I did that, but this could change. And that's something just a lot of elite athletes lack. They don't go back. You just play your game and you just go. That's what I love about videos, being able to go back and see the game because you see it one way when you're playing and you see it another way when you're sitting on the bench. But when you're sitting, watching everything, how it unfolds, and seeing moments, then you can adjust and correct. One of the things that I think, just as you were talking again about, you know, um, positive thinking, uh, one of the things that I guess the question I have to you is, is there a thin line between delusion and positive um, thinking? And if there is, where is, where is the line? So the line between like delusion and positive thinking? Yeah. It's almost like having that perfectionist mindset. Mm. It's like some things you can think like, oh, I got to achieve it. They're kind of out of this realm. Mm. Uh, so that's why you set like smart goals. You want, you want to make sure you have like realistic expectations for yourself. Yeah. I know I'm 26. I haven't competitively swam in over five years. So I'm not going to say, okay, well, I'm going to sign up for this new Texas swim meet in two weeks and I'm going to kill it. Yeah. realistic in, in another world like sure okay well i just always can jump in the water and swim that's not the problem mm. it's me being able to compete at that level with having no training the last like five or six years mm. and so i'll tell you you're you're not delusional but you're playing you're you're, you're gonna set yourself up for failure okay um yeah yeah, you're going to set yourself up for failure and you don't want to do that. Set realistic expectations and goals for yourself and set them for yourself, not because somebody else wants them for you or because somebody else suggested, oh, this might be a good goal. Set it for yourself. Mm. And then you'll be more intrinsically motivated to get, like achieve that. I think my, my last question to you would be, what, what athletes stand out for you when it comes to their mindset and mentality? Like give you a specific athlete, it's gonna I hate that it's this way. But 
not hate fighters that way, but like everybody's going to say like Kobe, we love his mentality, but a lot of people don't take that time to study and unpack what the Mamba mentality is. Mm-hmm. In the slogan, but me utilizing sports psych and then also having just an athletic background, I, I can understand it differently. And even now we see like LeBron doing some of the same things like, Hey, I'm practicing mindfulness. You know, I'm doing this. You see, you see that difference in their performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always kind of tie it back with the two of them, like their mentality, how they prepare, how they engage with other people. And that's when, you know, they stand out from the rest, you know, there's a loss, but they don't like take that defeat and throw a tantrum and all of that. Um, they kind of just go, okay. And they they keep composure. And I think that's just a, a good mental toughness tool. Like athletes who are going to be successful, like these two, have strong mental toughness. So they have good control um, over their emotions, their behaviors, and their thoughts. They've got great composure. They've got confidence still, regardless. And the list goes on. But I'd have to answer with just those two folks for right now. And of course, I look at like women athletes and it's just like, I, I can list so many who I think are just amazing and resilient, but we'll just keep it to those two because those mm-hmm. are the first that popped up. Okay, I've still got a, a few questions. I guess um, I want to go back to something you said very, very early on, and it's about representation. Now, unfortunately, in 2021, we still have to have um, a very surface level, I guess, discussion about why representation matters. Um, can you, In your own words, can you explain why rep- representation matters for you? Representation matters for me because you don't see a lot of people doing not even what I do. We didn't see a lot of black folks or black girls swimming growing up. And uh, I think it was one time I looked at the Olympics at, at the younger age and it was like one chick. She was telling yeah. like ex-girlfriend, I think her name's like Maritza or something like that. Something with the M I M. But basically she was Colin Jones' girlfriend. He was the black swimmer I looked up to and she was the black swimmer I looked up to. And I was just kind of like amazed at the time. And it was like, okay, but that's just one look at the rest of the, the U.S. national team. Mm. And so I think how I look at representation matters is what, what I do now, I want to inspire younger generations. I remember being an elementary PE teacher and telling the kids, and they're like, you're working on your doctorate. Why are you here? Mm. <laughs> it's like, okay, because I love y'all. Like, I, I love kids, and that's where my passion resides. But you could be doing so many other things but not be here. Like, and so they would ask me my dreams and my aspirations and I would share them. They're like, you need to leave. I like said it in the the nicest way you could take it from like fourth, fifth and sixth graders. And I realized then that my representation mattered, how I composed myself, you know, how I conducted myself, you know, being a a black young woman in a male dominated field. So like physical education is male dominated. Mm. You don't have a lot of females. I was the only female on staff and I was the only woman of color on that staff and in that um district so um it's kind of like okay when it came to aquatics it was maybe only 30 of us on a swim team of 200 Uh and 30 is a good number but when i first started it was nowhere near that it was like five of us so it grew to 30 um but that representation matters when i teach swim lessons you know i teach it in a way i teach it multiculturally uh, sometimes bilingually, so like English and Spanish, it's really, really fun. Mm-hmm. But that, that representation matters because now these little kids are saying like, I'm brown, 
I can swim. My teacher, she's, she's a female and she's black. She can swim. I can do this coaching then, um, really made me remember that representation matters because the only black coach on a deck coaching non-black athletes Mm. and my representation matter. Not that I needed to be accustomed or adapt to fit in, but if I acted a certain way or did a certain thing, then the negative connotations, I was just me authentically. Mm. And of course getting labeled whitewash. Mm. It's like, I'm not whitewash. I'm educated. You know, I'm disciplined. Like, there's great qualities to me. I don't have to be ghetto as you guys perceive a black person. Mm-hmm. So I continue to just be me. And through that representation, it's impacted thousands mm-hmm. and thousands for sure. Because when I worked in the elementary school, I saw over 1400 students in a week. So mm-hmm. uh, that was massive. And then of course, like working with different athletic teams and stuff, having people say like, well, how did you get into that? Okay. Like, and now what do you do? And then just even realizing what I do on social media, that's representation. And I can tell you the endless DMs I get, hey, Dr. K, you're like, can we collab? Can we talk? Can we do this? Like, I have questions. Can we meet with? And giving the, in, the perspective from my lens has helped to inform like other people's decisions and not saying like, I know it all, but that's where I felt my representation mattered because I aspire to be maybe not a legend, but I aspire to be well-known in the sports side community and people go, okay, there is Dr. KJ. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, you know, Dr. KJ, she did this and blase, blase. Yeah. And that's what I want. I don't want to be like whoever's the like top, top, like sports type person right now. Like, I mean, if I do, that's amazing. I don't want to limit myself, but it's not about, you know, fame and accolades. It's just about the impact. And of course, that's like why my business's name was Dominant Impact mm. because I want it to be a ripple effect. I want people to remember the name KJ and it shakes and it moves things. Mm. And so far, that's what's happened. Everywhere I go, I leave an imprint and an impact and people, they still remember, they'll talk. We see it right now going on in the sports world um, within women's and men's sports too. Yeah. Matters, and you're seeing the blacks and browns and the BIPOC community, they're uniting because we're tired of being underrepresented. You know, we're mm. tired of being treated as less than. Mm. You know, our voices matter, what we go through matters, our mental health matters. Yeah. And being able to be on the face of that and inspiring generations older and younger is yeah. a beautiful thing. Mm. One of one of the most fascinating things for me is joining an already great team. So I think of two examples. So well, one's a team, one's an individual. So I think of um, the great Floyd Mayweather. So imagine you as a sports psychologist, you know, um, joining his team at, at his height of his career. And concurrently, um, I'm thinking about Golden State. So this was the season where I think they would, I think it was 72 and eight in the, just their, um, the normal season. Talk to us about how you would go about um, making sure that you have an impact on an already great performing team. I love that. I think for me, because I'm, I'm like super mellow. I don't know if y'all catch the vibe, but <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's not the accolades. If I can be there and even just be that behind the scenes person, that's what I prefer. Yeah. It's not for me to be like, hey, I'm Dr. KJ and I work with Money Team or I work with the Golden State Warriors. That's not your business. So that's it. When they want to highlight me. Mm. But 
I think the most important thing is like, no matter what level the person's at or the team that I'm working with is, you still treat them like a person and get yeah. to know them as a person. And that's where I feel I have a strength. I'm feeling like I'm very good at like rapport building yeah. and developing like strong interpersonal connections because those are more meaningful to me. When I can get you on that level, all else will fall into place because when I know this, this information, I can be like, all right, Lloyd, like, that's not it. That's not you. Why are you acting like this? And you can check them and you do the same working with the Golden State Warriors. Like, Hey boys, like what's going on out there. And you can call it. I also like to call it as I see it, no matter how mellow I am mm. uh, once I'm going to be direct, like, Hey, that's not how y'all play. You know, y'all aren't out there communicating, you know, coaches yelling this, y'all are just being dismissive, you know, we're coming in here slamming things. That's, that's weak composure. And a lot of folks will, will appreciate that when you check them. Now, of course, these are male teams. <laughs> so also, you know, got to remember that like, okay, it's, sometimes things may be brushed off, but I don't have to be one of the boys just to uh, fit in. Just yeah. keep myself and be like, you know what? That's cool. You can discount it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure if you just tried my approach, you would see success and let them kind of figure it out because I don't want to mother and hold their hands and pretty much pull them to the water. Like I can, Oh, I can only get you there. Yeah. You gotta want to get yourself further. Um, so that's what I would do. Like regardless of the fame and the status, like I, I look at you as your individual Yeah. at the end of the day. All right, Floyd, who are you without your boxing career? All right, everybody on the Warriors, who are you guys if, for whatever reason, basketball ended tomorrow? Yeah. I'm going to remind you of that and help keep you strong in that performance, but just also keep you strong in your personal life, too. In your experience, what are the differences between, you know, the, 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 the highest um, type of athletes you work with compared to those who are not, so, who are not on the, the elite um, level of you know their sport. What what do you think are the differences in terms of their mindset? Good question. Um, a lot of lower level athletes they struggle with seeing opportunities beyond um, situations and setbacks. Okay. So imagine you're trying out for a team. Like a lot of people think, I'm going pro. So of course you live your life. And I'm going to go pro. I'm going to go D1 and do all this. But what happens when you get there and or it comes to that point for you to prove yourself and you, you don't make it. Then you, you get stuck. You have a mentality. And I think that that's what happens with a lot of like those lower level athletes. Like, well, I didn't make it or I could have, should have, could have, would have. Mm. Yeah, if, you, if you were at that percentage, you would have, but you didn't. So now what are you doing? And okay, that, that was one option. What are the many other options you have? Don't set your whole life focused on one goal. Have different avenues. If this plan fails, I have this plan, that plan, and that plan. Mm. It's in the mindset of once you make it elite is to try to stay strong because there's going to be external pressures. You're going to have internal pressures. And the ones that make it and stay long-term have developed a stronger mental toughness. Mm. They've developed just a stronger growth mentality and seeing that, okay, like they go and say worries. We didn't win in the, the championships. Okay. We're going, we're, again, it's always going back to the drawing board and looking at your losses as, as learning lessons. You know, um, there's, it's flipping everything and reframing your thoughts and focus. Yeah. So regardless of whichever end of the spectrum is, you could be a lower level athlete with an amazing mindset 
or you could be an elite athlete with a poor mindset. Yeah. Different. So you're up here, you're making money, but that's only going to go so far. Mm. Um, it's to learn from your lessons. Um, like I have a triple A method and it's acknowledge, adjust, and, um, like adapt. So kind of wrote it. So I wouldn't forget. And basically like you acknowledge the thoughts and feelings that like are present and the thoughts that you're having, um, it goes both ways. You know, are they negative thoughts? Are they helpful thoughts? You know, why are you thinking about them? Then you, of course, adjust those thoughts that you're thinking and you want to bring them to more uh, self-belief thoughts. You know, you want to look at believing in your strengths and your capabilities. And that can go from both ends of the spectrum. Then when you get there, then you start to feel yourself like, or as I say, like you feel yourself a quality gas to get a quality performance. If you're going to put crappy gas in your body or crappy thoughts and mm. crappy energy, what are you going to get a crappy outcome? Mm. And you act in your skills and your strengths, utilizing those self um, beliefs that you have. And then what you'll notice is that your performance is enhanced. And so then your mindset has changed and you're like, you know what? I'm good where I'm at. Be the best where you are. You don't have to be somebody else's best, be your own version of your best and stop comparing yourself. Yeah. I think that's what makes some of those great elites different than those down here because you're still looking up like, ah, I want, instead of just learning to be content, but still have aspirations to succeed. Um, another question, and this should be the last question. <laughs> another question that's popped up. It's um, science versus intuition. So how much of your methods weighs on science versus your own intuition on, you know, your client? That's a great question. You can tell when somebody's too sciencey when they want to take you straight to the textbook for everything. <laughs> you know, everything we do, like in the sports psych and in just the mental health and psych field, we want to make sure it's evidence-based. But how do you truly know your your client or the person that you're working with if you're only using science and using books to talk to them? Mm. And that's why I say like that interpersonal relationship comes in and I'm a good gut feeler. So I'm kind of just going to go with the flow and I'm like, okay, yeah. now something tells me this is what the problem is. And I do like to rely on my gut. And once they start telling me certain things or disclosing what um, other things and situations, then I can start bringing in like that evidence-based science and showing them how certain approaches are used and why they're used and maybe why that's better than the one that they're using. So it's a culmination of both, Yeah. but I like to be more transformational rather than transactional. And I think that's okay. the difference. Intuition you're being more transformational and showing that person that you care and you're more involved. Whereas science is going to be more transactional. Well, the book says, you know, by here, if you do visualization and meditation every morning, then your performance should improve. Mm. How do I know it's going to improve? You know, are you a visual learner or are you more auditory learner? Are you a kinesthetic learner? You need hands-on Yeah, finding what works and kind of like, as you're talking with that person, you, you're really developing like, okay, this is how they operate. And that that's what I'm big on doing. Like whether I'm talking to someone virtually, you know, over the phone, in person, I'm taking notes and I'm listening. Okay. Like, are you sounding rushed when you're talking? Okay. You've got nerves and like just breaking it down and then relaying that back to them. Whereas sometimes scientists says, well, that is what it is. Intuition allows you to be deeper and be more present. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So KJ, 
you have the most chilled out but equally most beautiful aura about yourself so thank you thank you thank you so much how can anyone get in contact with you firstly thank you so much um that's just me always and, uh, <laughs> thanks for allowing me to be here if y'all were wanting to get in contact with me you can reach out to me on instagram you can reach out my handle the minority sports like doc or you can also contact me via dm on my dominant impact performance page and it's at dominant impact performance if you're not um, on instagram or twitter any social media you can literally search dominant impact performance if not it's dominant impact at gmail.com and you can just send in an inquiry and um we can get to talking and schedule a consultation or tell me what's going on and we can figure things out okay um guys so there's i need to ask dr kj this so it was um acknowledge adjust and what was the third one Act. Act, yeah. So if there's one thing you take from that is the three A's, because that's something even I was thinking in my head as well. So um Dr. KJ, again, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. It was definitely um packed with um a lot of useful information and very actionable things that people can take with them. So until next time, guys, stay safe, stay healthy, and thank you for tuning in.